Uh, we have a special guest preacher today, as Laura said in the announcement. I don't know if, if you could hear the first part of it, but Kelly is her name, and she has felt inside her shoes. Oh, wait, no, that's not her last name. Um, shoe and felt? Show? Show something? Felt in your shows? No, okay, anyway. Uh, Sean felt his last name, which I'll just give her a hard time. Uh, but she is actually an elder in the Methodist Church, and she actually is uh, the pastor at Servant Church. And if you have no idea what Servant Church is, you need to talk to her afterwards because it is something amazing that God is doing uh, in Austin. And I want to encourage you to be able to do that. But I would love for you to please uh, let her feel welcome and very thankful that we are glad that she is here to preach to us today. So thank you, Kelly. You can clap now. That's, there you go. Thank you, DG. Thank you. It is good to be with you this morning. Servant Church is, for any of you who have been around the Austin area for a while, you might be familiar with some of the churches in town. Servant Church is housed inside of the building uh, that used to house Asbury United Methodist Church. So that might mean something to some of you. It's at the corner of 38th and a half in Cherrywood, right in the heart of town. And uh, I would love to talk to you about the things that God is doing at work in that community. This morning, Pastor Laura is spending her morning with, with my church, and I am spending my morning with you guys, and it is a joy to be out here in this beautiful space that you are blessed to enjoy. This morning's scripture text comes from the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to read from chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Look here. Today I've set before you life and what's good versus death and what's wrong. If you obey the Lord your God's commandments that I'm commanding you right now by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments, his regulations, his case laws, then you will live and thrive. And the Lord God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But, there's always a but, if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen... And so are misled, worshiping other gods and serving them. I'm telling you right now that you will definitely die. You will not prolong your life on the fertile land that you are crossing the Jordan River to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as my witnesses against you right now. I have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. Now choose life so that you and your descendants will live by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by clinging to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth May the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to try to go down here. I feel like I'm blocking you guys over there. Okay. Everything happens for a reason. It's that saying, it hits you right in the gut when you hear it. I'm guessing that you might have had somebody say that to you at some point in your life. 
perhaps during tragic circumstances, or perhaps you are the one who has said it to someone else. And I will admit that I've been on the giving and the receiving end of this statement. And I want to start this message right now. We don't know each other very well. But I'm going to start right now by saying this message is not helpful. I could end my sermon right now. (laughs) In no way whatsoever do we have the capacity to look someone in the eye, someone who has just experienced the death of a loved one, or someone who's had a tragedy occur in their home, or or had a child diagnosed with an illness, or lost their job, or, or going through a divorce, or any other reason. There is absolutely no time that we need to say this to someone. It is hurtful. It is harmful. It is not scriptural. And I personally wish it would just go away. We usually say it in times when we don't know what else it is that we're supposed to say. But Kelly, you say, There's this other text that was just listed up there, and you didn't read it. (laughs) There's this verse in, in Romans, and Scripture tells us that God works all things together for good for those who love God and who are called according to God's purpose. All things work together for good, so doesn't that mean that everything happens for a reason? Does that mean if I don't love God or... I'm not called according to God's purpose, then I'm going to bear the brunt of something awful? No. You're correct that in Romans, Paul tells the church that God can work all things together for good. But hear what Paul did not say in that text. He does not say that everything happens for a reason or that all things that do happen are part of God's plan. It's a different statement. I don't know about you, but every week I feel like I start seeing more and more reports of violent incidents happening in our schools, more lives affected, more children hurt, more arguing, more crying, more despair about what is happening to our world and what can be done to stop it. I do not believe that God has a plan or a reason for these horrific tragedies. I don't believe God wants it to happen, nor wills it to happen, nor does God have a reason for such violence and fear in our world. Last week in our church community, we helped a new mother grieve the sudden and unexpected loss of her father only two days after her son's birth. I don't think God had some reason that this should happen so she could grow in her faith and could learn things. I don't think there's a logical reason that this had to happen, and I don't think God had some ultimate purpose for the family to experience the loss when they did in the way in which they did it. So how is it that we've gotten to this point? I think it's for a few reasons that we respond this way. First of all, We don't understand why these things would happen. And in the midst of unanswered questions, 
it seems like a really wonderful safety net to assume that God must have a good reason for these things to happen because otherwise I just don't understand God. I think it genuinely comes from a place of fear and and discomfort and the suffering of our world that we chalk it up to divine intervention because we come to the conclusion that if God is in charge of everything, which we try to understand and, and wrestle with what that means, then whatever happens must reflect the perfect will and plan of God. Second of all, I think we come to our own logical understanding. I mean, we are, are, are humans, and we like to think of cause and effect, and from that perspective, everything does happen for a reason. Actions have consequences. And if we are assuming that, that someone or something caused the consequences, when we can't otherwise come up with a person or a place or a thing to blame... We must assume that God has a greater reason that we just don't understand. That must be greater than simple cause and effect. And thirdly, I think we come to this statement with a wide spectrum of understanding of our own personal responsibility and our own freedom in God. God's providence and God's sovereignty. Those are two really big theological seminary-sounding words that drive a lot more of our understanding and our conversation in this dialogue than I think we might understand. I'm going to dive into a few of those this morning. I spent the last couple of days on this long weekend in Houston with friends. You see, I actually was supposed to go last summer. I grew up in Houston. I was actually supposed to go last summer at the end of the summer to visit friends. As the trip approached last August, you may recall what was going on in Houston. I faced challenge after challenge with my own schedule. It felt as if the universe were conspiring against me so that I couldn't go and visit my friend's newborn baby. Have you ever had those days? It just feels like everything is stacking up against you. Well, as you may recall, at the end of August, there was something else happening in Houston with the arrival of Hurricane Harvey. So I decided to change my plans, and I didn't go. Now, some people would say, if everything happens for a reason, then God must have sent a Category 4 hurricane to prevent me from going. (laughs) After all, I wasn't responding to the other clues. And just as you all do, I think that's absurd. I think that is self-centered. But sometimes our logic follows this kind of thinking. And it gets us to a similar conclusion. This logic can follow through when we sometimes think God has ordained a particular team to win a game. Or perhaps when we think God has divinely ordained someone to win an election. One of the reasons that this kind of thinking is problematic is because it, it completely eliminates any of our personal freedom or our personal responsibility. If I still chose last August to drive to Houston and I died in a car accident in the storm, God must have had a reason for it to happen. Surely God would not have let that happen to me or to my husband or to my two young children. No. 
If that had happened, if I had made choices, were that the case, that put myself in danger. I made choices and there were consequences. But what about in those scenarios that I'm naming that really have nothing to do with our own choices? What about in those scenarios that have nothing to do with our own personal responsibility? Such as in the case of of friends and family whose homes were destroyed. Or, Or in the case of when cancer diagnosis comes and there's nothing that anybody has done to choose that. Or when a child loses their life. There is no personal responsibility there. But in those cases, we hear people out of a genuine place of love and discomfort, say, God must have had a reason for this. And when we do that, we seem to be assigning blame to God for everything that happens on this earth. We are assigning God responsibility for our actions. And if we make God responsible for every terrible thing that happens in this world, we are not saying that these things don't happen in spite of God's will, but because of it. And there is nothing that I know to be true about God from Scripture, from my own experiences, from the traditions of our faith, from the guidance of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing to indicate to me that God has a divine reason for these kinds of tragedies to occur, for people to suffer, for people to hurt. Nothing about God says to me that God would cause destruction or child abuse or war or famine. If we believed that to be the case, why would we be here worshiping and striving for justice in this world? Why would we spend our time and energy trying to serve people in need? Why would we worship and pray and sing and ask God to heal our wounds if we think God caused them? If we start down this way of thinking, we assume that whatever will happen, will happen. Whatever will be, will be. Doesn't matter what we do, God has a divine plan and it's set in motion. And and those people will either be fed or clothed with or without us. And those tragedies will happen at the school regardless of what politics we advocate for or what we pray for. So when we buy into this half-truth, that everything happens for a reason, we start affirming these views of the world. So I want to take a step back and go to my big theological words. Providence and sovereignty. When we're talking about God working in the world, those are the terms that we're talking about. Providence is closely related to the word provide. It relates to God's governance of the cosmos, including our world. Closely related to that, God's sovereignty, as in authority or rule, a sovereign. Um, If you think about the royalty, a sovereign doesn't depend on anyone else for their authority or their power. God's authority encompasses all of creation. And God is sovereign. Christians share a belief in both of these things, but our understandings of both of these things vastly differ. Some people think that God is the ultimate micromanager. Some people think that God is intimately involved in every detail of everything you do every single day. 
There are other people who think that God is kind of like a watchmaker or a clockmaker who, who winds up the, the watch and lets it go. <laughs> Just watch, watches it be set into motion. And a lot of people are somewhere in between those two extremes. I was raised in the Presbyterian church, which was largely influenced by the work of John Calvin. He was a brilliant theologian who was actually only 27 years old when he published his Institutes of of Theology, which is a lot of words to publish by age 27. He was a lawyer, hence the wordiness, and he influenced a lot of theology around the Protestant Reformation. And even though the arms of the Methodist Church and some of the other churches that you might be familiar with in in our modern-day mainline churches don't necessarily come out of that Reformation, it still very much influences how we as a society think about these things. One of the things Calvin wrote about was with regards to God's sovereignty. He believed that if God is sovereign, God must will, or in some sense cause, everything to happen. Because if that weren't the case, then God wouldn't have dominion over everything. Calvin wrote, no wind ever rises or ever rages without God's special command. So everything in the weather from a burning hot day to Hurricane Harvey to a gentle rain to the Memorial Day floods of three years ago, God manages all of those details. That's what Calvin would say. And given that humans didn't necessarily understand science to the degree that we do now, and given that scripture sort of affirms this view, it was natural for Calvin to assume this kind of causal relationship. My sort of comment is because in the Bible, we do read about punishing droughts and famines, life-altering floods, and And to someone like the prophet Elijah, droughts weren't about atmospheric conditions. They weren't about weather patterns. They were about God's punishment of a people for their behavior. I don't think the story of Elijah is supposed to teach us about how the weather works. I really don't know. (laughs) Perhaps the drought was directly caused by God. There's no way for us at this point to affirm or reject that. I think, though, it was intended more to teach us about God's judgment of a people 900 years before Christ. I do not think that that means that when a storm strikes, we should assume that God's plan is somehow to destroy a city or cleanse them from their sins. Our weather forecasters are not prophets testifying to God's plan for the weather. They are examining science and atmosphere and and telling us what our weather will be. So let's look at an example that is not weather. For Calvin's view, he would say that even our thoughts and our feelings are governed by God. You didn't decide to come here this morning. God somehow altered your way of thinking so you would be here. You didn't decide to take that job offer. God guided your thoughts and decided that for you. I didn't choose to go to Houston on Friday. God somehow guided my thoughts and chose that for me. 
The way of thinking that I'm describing is how Calvin came to understand something called predestination. It's a theological term that means that life unfolds according to a script God has. A script that God has written and determined before any of us were ever around. And one of the implications of that thought is that God has predetermined whether we will accept God's grace or be among the damned. And that seems really unjust to many Christians, including a man by the name of John Wesley. Wesley believed that God works in us to make it possible for us to respond to God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. You can accept it or reject it, but it is offered to all. It's not offered according to some predetermined script. God's will is that all would choose love and mercy. In a world where there is so much uncertainty and doubt and questioning, I think it can be really comforting to imagine that every detail of our lives is controlled by the plan and will of God. But I don't believe that's how God interacts with us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 29, it says, Aren't two sparrows sold for a small coin? But not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing about it already. Friends, God's knowledge of it happening is different than God's commanding that it happen. An overarching message of Scripture does not seem to be that God is a micromanager directing our every single action. Why would God have created us in such beautiful and diverse ways? We have intellect and imagination and unique gifts and talents and character traits. What's the point if God is going to micromanage our every thought and decision? In Genesis... God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and master it, take charge of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything crawling on the ground. In other words, God gives dominion or authority to the humans, to humanity. You would recall that in the Garden of Eden, God places a tree right in the middle and forbids the humans to eat from it. So why did God put the tree there in the first place if God knew they were going to eat from it? Well, perhaps that teaches us that part of being human is making choices between doing good and following God's path or turning away from it between responding to God's grace and love and mercy or walking away from it. I'm going to reread our text from Deuteronomy. Look here, I've set before you life and what's good versus death and what's wrong. If you obey the Lord's commandments that I'm commanding you right now by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments, 
his regulations, and his laws, then you will live and thrive, and the Lord God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you refuse to listen, and are so misled, worshiping other gods, refusing to listen, and serving these other gods, I'm telling you right now that you will definitely die. I have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. Choose life so that your descendants will live. Friends, it's possible that if you want, you can read this text and come up with a really awful prosperity gospel interpretation. If you do this thing, your life will be blessed. If you do this thing, curses upon you. And as much as we might uncomfortably sit with that and, and not know what to do with that, we know people who think this way, or perhaps you are struggling to reconcile this with an understanding of blessing and God's reasons for things to happen. I really appreciated Pastor Adam Hamilton's interpretation of this, which helped me reconcile some of these passages. So let's think about this in relation to what we're talking about with regards to God's sovereignty and God's providence. Moses is showing the Israelites two paths into the promised land. One path leads to life and the other to death. One, a choice to obey and to love God, which also means loving neighbors and, and seeking to do God's will in the world. The other path includes a chance to live for ourselves without regard to God or for anyone else. There are consequences for both choices. Why would they be called to choose if they had no choice in the matter? We have been given the gift of dominion, of choice. Sometimes we make choices that are amoral. If I choose where my family might go to dinner after church, go to lunch today, that's pretty much an amoral choice. If someone chooses to go out for a meal and chooses to have three drinks and drive home and then affects someone else, it then becomes a moral decision. I can't blame God for that. And I certainly don't think there's a reason that God would cause that. I don't think God dictates our choices to us in that way, or uses us as, as puppets, where whatever happens, happens by God's will and God's choice. I believe God gave us a brain and a conscience and a heart and history and our advocate and comforter in the Holy Spirit, the biblical witness and the ability to interpret all of these things as a guide to help us. So as we have talked about how God gives us choice and participation in the world. This rightly brings up the question, where is God's hand in all of this stuff you're talking about? All of this trauma? Why are we praying for people in, in war-torn countries or praying for people who have experienced tragedy, for God to intervene and, and help these people? Surely God doesn't leave it all up to us. Well, going back to that verse in Romans where Paul tells them, God works all things together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This affirms for us that in the middle of the muck, 
in the middle of the muck of life that we get ourselves into, God has the capacity to make good come out of it. And this is proven to us in Jesus. That Jesus was even sent here, that Jesus was sent here to save us and to deliver us and to show us how a fully God, fully human man would walk this earth and would treat other people and would be in communion with God. That shows us that God doesn't just leave it up to us. God works in us and through us and intervenes in the midst of our daily lives. God is present in the form of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, I think if we look, God is still even performing miracles. Have you ever awakened in the morning and, and felt a strong sense that God had placed somebody on your mind? Maybe you dreamed about them. Maybe it was just a, a feeling that you couldn't shake. I find this happens to me on a pretty regular basis. And if I pay attention and I actually reach out and communicate with that person, I have gen generally found that when I respond to those nudges, that's generally how the Holy Spirit tries to prompt me and tap me into caring for other people. Because just as Wesley understood, I believe God works in us to make it possible for us to respond to grace and God's love and mercy. But there's an action item there. Because we have to respond. So just a few months ago, I sent a text to a friend in this very situation, and, and I hadn't heard from her in months, and she, she immediately responded and said, it was so good to hear from me, and her dad had just been diagnosed with cancer, and she was really struggling, and she said, I feel like you reaching out is a way of God affirming that I'm being cared for, and I'm being looked out for. Now, that may sound like psychic intuition babble to you, and if that's so, that's fine. It might sound like some sort of coincidental communication. But generally, when God is prodding us with something, when God keeps that gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit coming to us, I have learned that God is speaking to us, and perhaps we should listen, because I think that is not coincidence. I think that's right where God is teaching me to reach out at the right time to provide affirmation and support. That's where I get to participate in the God bringing all things together for good. Does that mean that God had a major reason for me sending that text? I don't think so. But when we put ourselves in the middle of God's work in the world, then we get to participate and we get to find joy and meaning. And we get to help the good come out of these things that have no reasons. Surely, since the nine months when my trip got canceled, we have all seen stories of hope and redemption. You have surely been part of some of the rebuilding processes in our state, in our conference, in our regional area since the storm. We have a group of people with a U.M. Army trip this week especially. People have come across political and, and physical divides, crossed racial lines, and people have come together as neighbors in ways that we haven't seen before. But all of those amazing stories are not the reason this storm struck. But they are ways that God is leading us to bringing more goodness and love and mercy and grace into the world. 
They are the ways that light is coming out of the dark moments. Now in closing, I recognize, and you do too, surely, that we still don't have an answer for the reasons behind some of the tragedies that we really don't understand, that don't revolve around our own dominion, our own choices, our own authority. The truth is, I don't know that we're ever going to have answers on this side of heaven. We do know in God's renewed kingdom, there will be no more tears and no more mourning and no more suffering. And for those devastatingly awful things that happen to us in this life, we can grieve and know that God is alongside us and God did not cause it. God did not think there was a great reason for suffering. At the same time, God can do amazing things through us when we can choose, just like the Israelites, to draw closer to God and to experience hope in our faith rather than turning away from God after tragedy and letting it destroy us. God does not desire or have reason for our suffering, but sometimes through it, God can accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. And our response to these tragedies are witness to the fact that when we choose to respond in love and in mercy, our God, who is love, is able to accomplish goodness and bring light into this world. Friends, everything does not happen for a reason. I wish I could tie this up with a bow. But as we know, oftentimes sermons and our faith provoke more questions than they answer. I don't think God is micromanaging our decisions this day, nor do I think God is hands-off watching this crazy world unfold. The one thing I know is that in this in-between state, God is walking alongside us in our journeys, through our highs and lows, helping us in the midst of these situations that we will face while on this earth. Christ is with us. God is with us. Glory be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we come here wanting more answers, and often we find ourselves leaving with more questions. We know there is no divine reason for the things that we face sometimes. And at the same time, God, we cry out, why? Why would you let us hurt deeply? Why would you let our lives be tragically altered this day? And yet in the midst of it, God, we turn to you and choose to turn to you in love and hope and mercy, praying that you will pour your grace upon us, that you will help us respond to those who are in the midst of trials, and that you will help us give words to those who don't know what to say. That you will help us realize, God, that our words have so much power, and we know that you are with us today and always. Amen.